This is the Gutsiest Brands Podcast, a show dedicated to truly understanding how bold, empathic, pioneering, and impactful brands find their way in a hyper-competitive world. Welcome to the very first episode of the Gutsiest Brands Podcast. Our show is built around understanding the DNA of a gutsy brand by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. Every episode will speak to a leader from a brand we believe is gutsy. Now, what does that mean? Here at Gut Check, we believe there are four primary criteria that help us evaluate if a brand is gutsy. First, empathy, putting themselves firmly in the shoes of other people. Companies that lead with empathy go the extra mile and have the courage to look deep inside. They innovate to create hyper-relevant products, services, and initiatives that connect a deeper, more human dimension, recognizing real people with real emotions going through real experiences. Pioneering. Pioneering brands refuse to be limited by what is. They identify new problems to be solved or take industries in an entirely new direction. Bold. Companies that stand behind bold ideas may make decisions that aren't always popular, but are distinctive and may lead to bigger wins. They step outside of their comfort zone to be meaningful, connect in new and exciting ways, and really stand out from the crowd. Seeing opportunity where others see trade-off. Where others are making trade-offs and compromising, gutsy brands see opportunities to outperform. They overcome perceived barriers to deliver true innovation. I'm your host, Emily Eichelberger, and we have a very special guest for our very first episode. Today, our Gut Check CEO and fearless leader, Rob Wingle, sits down to chat with Craig Dubitsky. Craig is the chief innovation strategist at Colgate Palmolive, a leading global consumer product company. The founder of Hello Products, an oral care company on a mission to make the world a friendly place, a co-founder and creative lead at EOS Products, and an early investor in Method Products. Rob's on a mission to find out what makes Craig tick, get the insider scoop on what makes him so successful in innovation, find out what he thinks being gutsy means, and what brands embody gutsiness. So join me and listen in to one of the friendliest guys out there spill his guts. And while you do, I have a challenge for you. Try to determine what makes Craig and the brands he works with gutsy. And let's also try to find out when exactly Craig sleeps. Welcome, Craig. So we believe really strongly that brand building and innovation kind of lives in a world of a little bit too much me tooism and that to really succeed in this crazy market that we live in, you really have to break through. So this podcast and talking to you, Craig, is all about what it takes to break through. And we believe strongly that it takes guts to break through. What a good tie back to gut check. I see what you did there. You're, you're, you're quick. That's why we like you, your creativity. We're going to go through a few chapters today. We're going to talk, um, we want to talk a lot about your journey. You've had multiple brands that have been extremely successful. You've been a serial entrepreneur, and we want to talk about that. We want to see what lessons that we really can derive and share with our listeners from that. Then we want to take you outside of your own brands a little bit to kind of get some perspective and observations about other people and other brands. Um, and there might be a lightning round or two that we introduce in the middle of the a little of the game show. How's that? Sounds great. Sounds so, great. So you have had a variety of successes and a lot of serial entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs, but not necessarily serially successful. So let's start with your first one. Tell me about your first startup and your first new brand you brought to the world. <laughs> my, my very first one was, <laughs> I'm laughing because I don't know if this is the answer <laughs> you're expecting, but uh, my very first one was my car wash slash lemonade stand when I was a kid. That was my very, very first one. And I was probably eight years old or something. And I had seen other kids with lemonade stands. I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, I couldn't just have a lemonade stand because other kids had lemonade stands. And why was mine going to be any different? So my lemonade stand was also a car wash. And I employed all these kids in my neighborhood to help wash the cars while I you know, sat back and tried to upsell and cross sell 
the various you know services and or lemonade uh, or do you know like like gift with purchase of lemonade while you waited to get your car washed because there was obviously a lot more money to be had by washing people's cars than serving up uh, a plastic cup filled with like you know whatever was the country time lemonade instant lemonade mix of the day was that business branded no i don't i don't think i knew the power at the time of names and naming and uh, and brand identity like i do now i know much more now than i did then but i knew about margin i knew about margin margin when it's a lemonade stand is do you count the cost of goods sold that your parents actually contributed or not uh, well clearly i looked at that as a write-off for them so i didn't really you know okay. count that in quite the same way my accounting skills were not quite as uh, as refined as they should have been for an eight-year-old but uh so let's talk about methods let's talk about let's methods. talk about methods yes where did it come from so first of all i have to i have to throw a caveat in because you said i've been an entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur serial with an s by the way well, i i've been around a lot of different entrepreneurs as well. So I just want to be clear, like I, I never want to take credit. I don't like to take credit for anything, frankly. I, I think credit should, if credit's given, that's, I guess, okay. And sometimes a little awkward, um, at least for me, but I, but I would say in terms of method, you know, I just want to be clear. Here's the method story. I was lucky enough to meet the founders of method literally when they were two guys mixing product in their bathroom. So I was out in California at the time. I had a startup that um, had, had taken me to California, having nothing to do with CPG. It was a, a concept I had to reinvent relocation, uh, you know, basically moving services. And I had raised a bunch of money. I had put together an amazing team. The company was acquired before we ever launched by a big public, you know, REIT. And I was out in San Francisco. My old CFO said, I met this guy. He likes all the same stuff you do, which at the time and still to this day is um, design, and brand and design and brand and design and brand and packaging. And I've always had a thing for packaging and I've always had a thing for everyday things. I, I like, who doesn't like, you know, uh, really exotic looking design. It's terrific, it's inspirational. But for me, I think everything's art and I like really everyday things, <laughs> like really, really everyday things. I'm looking at my desk now, just to give an example of like something on my desk I think is really cool. A really old pencil sharpener, like, it's really cool. It's really old. Like I grew up with these types of things. So Andy Warhol likes some everyday things too. There, it worked out for him. So I mean, generally speaking. So Eric Ryan was the first person I met. Who's you know Eric and and Adam Lowry are the two co-founders of Method. I really love packaging. A mutual person, my old CFO at my moving relocation startup, was doing some consulting work at an agency where Eric was working, and literally. This guy says to me, this guy likes all the same stuff you do. You guys have to meet, which by the way, is like the story of my life. Someone just says you two have to meet. And so take every meeting. That's my principle uh, of life. Anyway, I, I met with Eric and we had this crazy bonding session because we were, you know, chit-chatting and, and I, I really liked packaging and he really liked packaging, which is not a normal topic of discourse, really. I think I asked him, well, what's your favorite pack? And he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's not an American company, you're probably not going to know it. And I said, oh, same with me. Mine's, you know, I have a favorite thing and it's not for America either. And we kept sort of like trading back and forth this weird ping pong. And eventually we realized that we had the identical psychotic obsession with this package that like, you couldn't fake this. Like, even if you were trying, you had some motive, like there was no way you could fake doing this thing. I'll tell you what it is, just because it's funny. It was a brand called Physio Sport. It was a Unilever product and it kind of predated links links is acts outside of the us at least in the uk and um we both had this pack like you, you couldn't swiped, fake having you, you this both swiped in the right direction on that favorite totally a hundred a hundred percent i was like oh my god like do you have the seafoam green one with the olympic rings on it he was like holy shit like yeah like oh my god like, like you really do know it i'm like yes i really do know it so i said i heard you have some idea that's keeping you up at night what what is it he said and i quote i think cleaning products suck that's what he said which is very eloquent and very direct. And I went, hmm, well, why do you say that? I never really at the time had thought much about household cleaning products. And he said, well, as a consumer, the biggest thing you buy is your home and the stuff you use to take care of it is so ugly, you have to hide it. And so toxic, you have to lock it up. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like every synapse fired for me. And I said, oh, like I was blown away by this seemingly very simple insight. You gotta go back in time. This is like 1999. And I went, to him, you know, 
now that you say this, and my mind is totally blown, to use the parlance of the day, I said, yeah, you know, I think I think uh, cleaning products suck because the brands were all were basically all created at a time when women deep clean the house every day. And they watched daytime programming, which was called soap operas because a big soap company basically paid for the production. You know, they pined over the fact that they hadn't married an astronaut or they weren't, you know, Jackie O. They were just at home smoking cigarettes and, you know, deep clean the house every day. And uh, And last I checked, that wasn't the world that I occupied. And I didn't know any women that were waiting around for their husbands to come home from work, you know, with the hot meal on the table and the sports page by the front door, you know, all that kind of nonsense. The brands to me were really, really antiquated. So I, and I made fun of them to Eric. I was like, they all have X's, Windex, Ajax, Borax, Oxidol, you know, Comet was like a breakout brand because it, it took into account that the space race was going on at the time. And then Mr. Clean, who was, you know, to me patterned after Yul Brenner. Who was the as as you know Yul Brenner from the King and I times right. was sort of the first permissible sex symbol for women in America because American men you know were like oh he's bald has a funny accent you know like uh, I don't have to worry about him well basically that became Mr Clean this you know bald headed dude with an earring and a tight white T shirt so I say all this stuff to Eric he's like wow and anyway we we had this this bond and uh, you know he had this idea and I really got behind it so I led the original investment of Method in my role, which had nothing to do with CPG or, or investing like that, because I really believed and I convinced people that it was going to be a big thing. And I'll never forget the people I worked with were like, I'll give you the G-rated version. We know you don't want bad things to happen to us. So, okay, like, okay, you can, you know, make this investment. So I, you know, I invested personally a little bit. I invested on behalf of the, the company that I worked for, which had nothing to do with CPG. And Method became this white paper study, you know, it basically had to build a very modern brand when there was no D to C, there was no social, there was, there was nothing like that. So yeah, Method was, was really interesting. And, and I think the thing for me was certainly the concept before I even saw any pictures, just this idea that the story, the narrative in cleaning was, was ridiculous to me. And it again, had missed all the cultural nuance of these bigger shifts that were happening that, oh yeah, women had careers. They weren't just homemakers, right? Which is like such a wild term and such an antiquated term. So you said brand design, brand design, brand design. That's the key. But what I also just heard you say was- People, people, people. People, people, people. Talk about that. So some of the, the company you work for now, there are people at the company you work for now who have actually spoken to me in the past about what you just called everyday products, but they would often refer to as low involvement and low in- interest category. Yeah, I I hate that language. So I literally I hear that like you're ooh, I'm getting like cringy hearing that. And um cuz my my thesis is very simple and thesis is a very uh an aggrandizing term for for what it really is. My 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 gut to to use a, a word. Use it often. Is that there's no such thing. Yes, I use it use it use it often. Yes. Um and think of you always and think of you fondly each time. I will basically just put it out there that I don't think there is such a thing as a low interest, low involvement category. I think there are low interest, low involvement brands. And I think people care about everything. I don't think there's such a thing as a boring category at all, like zero. And anyone who says that, I'm like, that's because you must have a boring outlook or a boring product or a boring proposition or a boring brand or a boring way of telling your story. Because people care about everything. They care about buttons on their shirts. They care about doorknobs. They care about you know, which type of windshield wiper gets installed in their car. They care like they, they care about everything. They care about the height of the heel of the shoe that they're wearing. Like, and they may not come out and tell you directly. That's the tricky part. Like, that's where you have to really be a student of, uh, of people. That's why I love people. Because if you can try your best to figure out people, then you're in a great place. And I'll share another, you know, because you made me think about like, what was your first thing? And I talked about, you know, having a, a car wash slash um, lemonade stand, but a really, really early thing for me, I call it cultural currency. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know if I need to uh, trademark that at some point. I don't know if it's it's if it's already taken. I think it's I think it's taken. We 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 googled it while you were talking. It's taken. Okay, good. So what? <laughs> so I learned something really interesting about people when I was very young. I was a quirky kid, like any probably quirky kid. Uh, I don't want to say I was more quirky than anybody else, but you know, I, I was I was quirky. I remember getting an album from my father, who was in the textile world. He was in the the textile business basically forever, 
And his fabrics adorned the album cover of this band called the Bay City Rollers, which I only expect some people who may or may not be listening to to know. I might remember them. You would know the Bay City Rollers, right? So the Bay City Rollers. So my father's fabrics adorned the cover of the Bay City Rollers album. So he came home with a test pressing of this album before there was an album cover, and I'm in second grade, and I play this album, and I hear this song called Saturday Night, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y Night. Big hit, big global hit. They were like a very popular boy band, for those of you who don't know. Scottish, they wore kilts, you know, it was, it was madness. Like, basically, Rollers had very rabid fans. I heard this thing before anyone that I knew heard it. Certainly was not on the radio at all. And I heard the song that blew my mind. And I went to every person I knew or wanted to know and try to like fit in or, you know, be cool or have some type of, you know, second grade swagger. And I would talk about the song and I would do anything I could to play. It wasn't like you could share it with somebody back then. It was on a physical LP, a piece of vinyl. So anyone I could talk to about it, I would talk about it and say, you wait till you hear the song. It's the greatest thing ever. And however, however many months later, the song became this huge hit. It was like, you could not hear the song. There's there, there was like no one who didn't know the song. And I got all this credit. I got all this sort of psychic credit. I got this cultural currency. Basically, people were like, this guy played that song for me or talked about that song two months ago, six months ago. You were ahead of the curve. And I learned in second grade the power of if you can figure out something that people are going to like or hopefully love before they know about it, there's incredible power that comes with that. And I don't mean in the Spider-Man sense, you know, it comes with great responsibility. I mean, it's real, and maybe there is some great responsibility, but um, it's really about appreciating the gaps in people's lives, what genuinely can make them happy and figuring out how to deliver against that in a way that to hate, I mean, I hate to even use terms like this, but that'll like surprise and delight, right? Something that'll blow somebody's mind uh, in a positive way. And if you can figure that out, you're gold doesn't matter what what industry you're in so you're you're a student of culture you're a student of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you you've got really good intuition but intuition i think is probably built on observation and study totally and, and, and listening is there an example of a, a place where you actually learned something from people that really surprised you are there any brands where you thought you're going down one path but you learned something that took you down a different path i remember something that i experienced early and that the company Method experienced really that I found really fascinating, really fascinating. So Method came out with some dish soaps and the dish soaps dispensed from the, from the bottom, they were inverted, which that alone, talk about like turning a category on its head, like literally and figuratively. And they leaked, like the first versions leaked. And I remember at the time, I'll never forget this number, Target had 1,208 stores at this time. And I remember that number so well because people had to be sent into the stores to basically plug the product that was on the shelf so it wouldn't leak and like put these stickers on the bottom. And it was a nightmare. So we had to send people into the back rooms of Target to take stock out and fix this thing and then come up with a, with a workaround going forward. But the, the, the thing that I remember that really blew my mind was that normally you'd think, oh, no, like we have a faulty product. Something's not right. It's like it's over, right? We have this big problem. And what I realized with the case uh, uh, here with Method, with this leaky bottle at the time, was that the company had established this incredible goodwill and rapport with people. And also with Target, like Target didn't say, you're out of here, there's a problem. Like they really built this interesting relationship and set of relationships across the board, not with, with the retail partner at the time, yes, absolutely. But with, with the people that were using the product, it's like they had earned this permission from the people that uh, were using method, that it was okay to make a mistake. And that was really, really valuable for me. That informed a lot of stuff for me down the line. And I haven't really thought about that. How do you think they earned that trust? I think by being authentic and really trying to do something different that was genuine and that wasn't, you know, there was no pretense about it really. And I remember another story, another startup that I, I was involved with a long time ago, they were launching in Target. I'd introduced this brand to Target. I'll be kind and I won't mention the, the, the brand. And, you know, they were entrepreneurs and they were creatives and they weren't necessarily the most business-minded, but lovely, talented people nonetheless. And they realized after the doors were open to Target 
that they had completely screwed up on all their costs. Like they really messed up. And they were prepared with this huge dossier to go back to the buyer and basically go through this wild scenario where they were going to basically like retrade on everything and say, you know, like we have to change the pricing. There's, you know, the cost of oil went up and gasoline went up and all the shipping you know, logistics costs went up and all this stuff. And they had like built this crazy case and they were going to go back. And, and I literally said, I don't think you should do that. And they were like, but we have to raise a price. And I said, why don't you go back and basically say, listen, really sorry. We really messed up. And just say you really messed up and say, this is what it needs to be. And just uh, apologize and explain how maybe you missed it and why, and just apologize. And that was my advice to them. And they came back. I wasn't in this meeting, but they came back or they called me after and they said, thank God we had this chat. And I said, well, what happened? What happened? And they said, we went in, you know, with this whole story after talking to you, we just went in with the mea culpa and like, you know, we, we screwed up. And the buyer and the buyer had like multiple analysts with him and the buyer, they told me the story. They said, the buyer said, I'm so glad you said that because if you would come back and said oil prices went up, I have like a 80 page document over here with this analyst that would basically negate everything you were saying. And if you said, you know, raw material costs went up for you or, you know, some consolidator co-pack or whatever costs, I had a whole nother report in this guy's hand that was going to refute everything you said. But he's like, but I don't have anything for we blanked up, you know, like, I don't have anything for that. So, okay. So I've learned along the way, like, you know, it's, it's trite, which is a horrible word, but it's just true. Honesty is the best policy. If you screw up, say you screwed up. Like, what is someone going to, how is someone going to beat you up about that? Right. If you really own it and you're legit. And I find that most humans, not consumers, humans have a level of acceptance because who hasn't screwed up, right? Like, how much more in common could you have with a brand than talking to the people that have said, like, we're here to make it better. We really mean it. Here's what we're doing. Here are changes we've made. Like, I think people understand that. That's a much more realistic and authentic connection than we're not talking to you. Here's a letter from the law firm that represents, you know, us or the accounting firm, or whatever. That's cold. We have enough chill in our life as it is. So anyway, if there's a way to break down the walls, that's what you do. So authenticity is a very consistent. Yes, people have a bullshit meter. So when you launched Hello, it was um, one of the things that I, I always admired was the easy access to the friendly founder, the easy access to the CEO, be it on a phone call, Skype, you publicized it everywhere you could, you publicized it on your website. Was that the first time you did that? Y yes, and I'll tell you, yeah, where this, where this came from. First of all, the brand's called Hello. And I was serious about this notion of, of, of being friendly and trying to, uh, we like making sure that we were walking the walk and talking the talk. And if we're about being friendly and naturally friendly, then you can't be unreachable and you can't be standoffish and you can't be corporate and you can't be cold. So uh, as we were getting things ready, we were going to have a website because of course you have to have a website. And I said to the uh, folks that I was talking to at the time about building a website, and you got to go back in time. So this now is like 10 years ago. There wasn't Zoom like we're on now. FaceTime was, you know, still, you know, I think spotty at best. And Skype was like cutting edge. I said, well, what if you came to our website and you just got a prompt asking you to start your camera if you'd like to Skype? And people looked at me like I had eight heads. They're like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if you came to our website? You know, like I, I'd say hello, like it was only open from like this hour to this hour. And, you know, if you came at midnight, well, maybe I was asleep. Like tough, you know, so, so, so sorry. See you tomorrow. And they were like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I said, well, I can't like technically or I shouldn't. And I said, well, I mean, technically, I mean, there's a way, but like, no, you shouldn't do it. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, people go to the web to glance. They want to learn things. And I said, like, what? Well, they're going to want to know about uh, where they can buy it. And I said, well, then they'll tell me there's a zip code and I'll look it up and I'll tell them. They said, you can't do that. Uh, they're going to want to know about the ingredients. And I said, well, then I'll, I'll tell them what's in the ingredients. I'll tell them why we have the ingredients we have in there. Well, they're going to want to know about uh, your animal you know, testing policies. I'm like, great, because we don't test on animals. So uh, uh, we'll have a great conversation, like whatever they want to talk about. Maybe they just want to say hello. Anyway, the compromise it was a compromise because um, I realized I'm like, all right, it might be very limiting. I also have some other things to do. You know, I probably can't like just sit around all day and all night. So 
um, we came up with the Skype button. And it's been there since day one of the Hello website, which was day one pretty much of Hello being live out there. And uh, I get pinged from all over the world all the time. And unless I'm on a plane or uh, you know, uh, on a podcast or in a meeting with a retailer or with my family at something, I pick up. And I've had some incredible experiences, incredible, because people are amazing. People are awesome. And I can't tell you how many times people have been shocked. It doesn't go to anyone other than to me. It comes to me. How much of this is a marketing element and how much of this is where you learn? You know, it's another great question. I'm always learning. So I'm like, if anyone wants to share something about what they like or what they don't like, please like bring it. It really was a way to connect. And if and if connecting in an authentic way means it's marketing, then it's marketing, you know? Um, and and the reason I came up with this, in the beginning, by the way, when we started e-commerce stuff, we shipped ourselves. I used to write a note in every box that went out. I would, I would look at where you lived and what you bought. And if I had any kind of thing I could come up with, I wouldn't like stalk anybody. It's like, if you were writing from Rochester, New York, and I went to school in Rochester, New York, I would write something about Rochester, New York, because I had a tie to Rochester, New York. And if you bought a certain product that I loved, I would be like, oh, good choice. Like that product is amazing. Wait to try it. I hope you love it as much as I do. And I would always include my business card and write. And these were handwritten notes. And each one was different. It wasn't like I had like the same thing I'd cut and paste. And people were like, you're crazy. Like, why do you do that? And, I'm, and I didn't think I was crazy at all. I was like, this is what sets us apart. We're not special. The people that buy this stuff that care enough to get in touch with us or, or drop us a line, they're special. Whoever sent a note to their toothpaste company, their oral care company, like that's amazing. Like if they're happy and they want to tell us they're happy, it's like, that's amazing. Like what can we do to, you know, really truly uh, connect and make it count? So again, I say this a lot, like people have a, a bullshit meter and they can tell and they can tell if it's cut and paste. And this idea, honestly, I think the genesis, the earliest, earliest inklings of this idea came to me a long time ago when the interwebs were new. I'm an admitted Apple fanboy from way back. I'm like an Apple 2C, like I'm old school Apple all the way. Like when Apple was going out of business, I was like, I better get like two computers because you know they're gonna be gone. Like I'm really deep in Apple camp. And when the interwebs were new and people used bulletin boards and things, I of course followed all these wacky, you know, Apple fan fandom sites like very closely. And I remember there were always one or two people that would post some story that they would send an email to Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs would respond and we'd all lose our minds. Like sometimes he'd write one word response. Sometimes he'd write like 10 paragraphs and you'd just be like, I can't believe this guy wrote back. And this isn't when Apple was the Apple we know it. This was like Apple was kind of in, in some fits and starts. When, when he first invented the the black turtleneck. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's seriously. And, and just the fact that Steve Jobs right back to anybody was so cool. And it always stuck with me. And I'm not making any comparisons to Steve Jobs. I swear, I promise there's no way. You do like design. Anybody can or I could. But I love design, absolutely. So, but I, that always stuck with me, the way people reacted, myself included, when he would actually write back to somebody. That always stuck with me. And I, I was like, that's amazing. And I've been very fortunate. I've met some really incredible heroes in my life. And they say, don't meet your heroes. It could be disappointing. I've had nothing but amazing experiences, touch wood. And one of the things I've learned is that the people that are like the most successful, many of them are the humblest, nicest, kindest, coolest people ever. And the ones that are arrogant and jerky and not reachable, they might do fine. But you know, the, the ones that really engage with, with other humans in a warm, meaningful way, like, that's why we're here. We're only on the planet for so long. So I don't know. I'm just sort of built like that. Again, no comparisons to some of these other people. I'm going to bring you back to brand building a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. The four Ps, the five Ps, whichever number of Ps we're, we're worried about. Yeah, I have different Ps. Are, I have different Ps. Tell me about, so you, you've had, uh, at least you've been involved in some form or fashion with at least four very successful startup brands. What are your Ps? My Ps are uh, people. I could say people four times. Those could be my four Ps, but people, purpose, uh, provenance. You know, I, I think people want to understand where things come from, right? Think about the questions you're asking me. Like, well, how did you get here? Why do you think this way? Like, we all want to know that. Origin stories are really 
you know, really cool because they bind us. You know, they're, they're, they're archetypal. They touch on the things that we all have in common. I think that's why we tend to like these things. Yeah, those are really the, the biggies for me. There, there are probably a few more Ps. So in a very, very crowded world, there are people who have those very authentic, original stories that could connect with us, but it's hard to break through. You managed to break through. And did you do with advertising? Did, did it Was it about, I, I got on the shelf and my design stuck out? What, what was it? Uh, it was a combination of things. You know, we taste with our eyes. The, the first thing for me really is, um, it's a combination. Let's just go with capital D design. You can design everything. You could design, design for me isn't just form and fit and function and color choice. It's not just the superficial stuff. It's, it's designing the whole experience. What is the thing, and we can leave thing broadly ill-defined, what does it make somebody feel? You can design that in a way that taps into the emotions that you really want to convey. It's not about manipulating. It's, I think, just sort of the opposite. It's like it's inspiring somebody. It's, it's sparking something in somebody. So if, if the silhouette of your product helps do that, if the color helps do that, if what you call the thing helps do that, like I can't even stress enough how important names and naming are to me. And I jokingly say this because I have such a crappy name, Craig Dubitsky. I mean, look, I, I love my parents, but like, really? They had to burden me with that. Anyway, I have a crappy name, but what you call the thing you're creating is really important. You didn't call like, and I'm not, I don't mean you, you, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the origin story. Uh, and I'd like to of gut check, but it's interesting that, that it's not the name. It's not the surname of a person and it's not named after a city somewhere, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's a much more sort of visceral modern vernacular bit being applied to an industry that's you know kind of operated the way it has for for a while so you're already changing the game just by naming gut check gut check versus something else you know if it were you know like like you know the the winger group or you know whatever it's just like it wouldn't be like ac nielsen arthur nielsen with all due respect right like it's just you know it's not the same thing it's like Oh, are you uh, Arthur Anderson? Or are you Accenture? Like it just even that, like all these things change perception very quickly and in a visceral sense. So yes, design and design of everything, the way all the touch points add up and communicate has always been really critical. Ask me about Methods TV commercials. There really weren't any. Tell me about Tesla's TV commercials. They don't have TV commercials. You talked about archetypes. I, I pay a lot of attention. You pay even more attention to what I'll refer to as digitally native brands. They seem to have a formula. I'm the founder. I had this problem. I found out that I could invent better socks, better mattress, better yep. um, way to buy eyeglasses. Yep. You, you name it. Is there a formula? And is the formula authentic? I think it was authentic of a time. Will it be that way forever? No. Personally, again, just speaking, you know, all this is personal, right? Everything I'm saying is just personal. I feel like the model, that approach, that blueprint of we're going to go disrupt. There's a state industry and we're going to go direct and we're going to bypass everything and we're going to blow it up and we're going to create so we're going to raise so much money and run so fast that the big guys aren't going to be able to keep up. That's how we're going to disrupt. And we're going to build this one-on-one -on -one relationship because you're going direct to the, you know, the word I never like to use, consumer. And then, you know, we're going to have an exit, fill in the blank with that. Means. And I think we've seen this blueprint for quite some time now. And I think the wake-up calls are still coming. But for me, um, the reason I didn't do that with Hello, I, I launched Hello in traditional retail. And people were like, but Brand X just sold for a gazillion dollars. I'm like, I'm not about the exit. I'm about making the best stuff that people can fall in love with. If I were focused on the exit, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I would have stayed doing what I used to do. I used to be a derivatives trader, a base metals derivatives trader. I hated that stuff. What motivates this? You, every single time I've ever spoken to you, you're the most passionate, enthusiastic person about everyday products I think I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah, because we, as humans, we write our narrative through our things and people have shitty things. So I feel this moral imperative to do whatever I can to try to make everyday things better, everyday things that are 
affordable by more people that hopefully bring a little bit of a bright spot to their day because most people live in a very narrow band. You know, why do we have 18 streaming services? Because life is, can be tough and boring and we need a little escapism. Why do we watch professional sports? To see somebody do something physically that we can't do, to, to harken back to when we were young and we could jump higher or, you know, wish we could jump that high or we like the fact that they're wildly exuberant in their lifestyles. I don't know, but it's just like what we do, right? Why do we watch Kardashian? Like, you know, people well, want to be some entertained. Us, some of us do. Exactly. So I'm not, yes. No, no judgment, by the way. My point is that we live in this narrow band, right? So how do we create things? It's going to sound cheesy. I really mean it. I don't mean it to be cheesy. Like that people fall in love with that. They, that they're like, that made my life a little better. That was awesome. And that, and, and by the way, and to do that for everybody, not just for a subset, not for like, oh, well, I can shop at expensive place X, Y, or Z. So that's good for me. Like to make stuff that everyone can find some joy in. That's awesome. So, all right, we're going to go to our first speed round. So we believe that there's a DNA to gutsy brands. So I'm going to run through four different elements of the DNA of a gutsy brand and ask you to tell me the first brand or campaign that comes to mind. Okay, hold on, I'm gonna have a sip of something just to, mm -hmm. All right, we think the first part of the DNA of a gutsy brand is being empathetic, truly getting people. What brand or campaign comes to mind? One of the things that I love about Apple is that how do you make something that's so ubiquitous that everybody uses and still make it cool, still make it as some, something that everybody wants? It takes a, such a deep understanding of how humans think and work and how they live with the things that they care about in their lives to be able to really do that and still give each user a sense that this thing is meant just for me and it's really personal. How do you, how do you create something really personal at, at scale? So I know, I know this is your speed round and I'm going to interrupt. It's our speed round. The thing with the iPod did to begin with. The iPod allowed you to create your music list. Thousand songs in your pocket, right? Um, here's another brand that I think could be interesting. Spotify. It's incredible. Like it's pretty much every song in the world. You can download them. You can share them. You can forward them. You can... Do all sorts. Of, I think that's an amazing one. Another one. Just you might want to use that on the set. You might hold your brands now because I got more. Of okay. This. All right. I'm gonna hold my brand. Another one. Totally different. Totally new. Totally different. Patreon. Patreon. Why Patreon? Because you, as a human, can support other humans that you think are doing admirable, cool things, and you can engage with those people. You can actually like not just send them money. You can you can send them notes. They write back. It's really pretty amazing. All right. Next next question. Pioneering. Pioneering brand. Yeah, there's there are so many. There are so many pioneering brands. You know, I love some of the ones you mentioned because they've taken on really big, big things. Whether it's you know Warby Parker taking on eyewear, like that's certainly pioneering, and 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 opening up stores and realizing that people actually do want to physically try things on. They want to have an experience in the physical space. That's amazing. Tesla. You know, come on, not just because of the technology, but because they've messed with the entire dealer franchise system right. um, and, and building huge infrastructure and raising huge amounts of, of capital to do it and having a market cap that's bigger than basically every incumbent you know, automotive manufacturer combined. combined. Right. It's incredible. I mean, there's so many interesting ones, right? I mean, obviously, Amazon, I mean, you know, these are, these are companies that were willing to take huge risks. Because that's the that's the the thread between all these, you know, that's the key. Confidently stand. So someone had a really bold idea and stuck with it. Well, you know, it's one thing to be bold. It's another thing to have courage of conviction and do whatever it takes to make sure your idea morphs and moves to where it needs to 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 ultimately win. You know, a lot of people are are uh, are bold, but it doesn't mean they're right. And if you're too bold, that's, that's arrogance. And nobody has patience for that or need for that in their life. So I think it's about having a bold idea, but having the courage to do whatever it takes to get it to the place it needs to be or can be. Not even so much that it needs to be, that it can be. Amazon was just going to be books. Is there a brand that stands out? 
Well, Amazon originally, like I met Jeff Bezos actually in 1999. When you could go over and talk to him, he spoke at the 92nd Street Y and I went over and had a chat with him. You could just go talk to him. Um, and look, they started out, they were selling books and then they did some private label e-commerce work for Toys R Us and, and Target, right? They were doing the, the white label behind the scenes e-commerce for those two companies. Um, you think that he knew at the time that he was going to, you know, you know, create voice-activated devices that he was going to create, uh, you know, an uh, an architecture for reaching people with relevant ads online the way they do. I mean, you know, I don't think that was part of the plan. I think it was books, <laughs> and this e-commerce thing will, will will be a thing. I mean, you know, it's it's being able to to pivot a little bit or or quite often. And also knowing when you screwed up, right? Anyone here have a Fire Phone? Nope. Has it hurt Amazon share price? Nope. Anybody have the Tesla Roadster yet? Or the Cybertruck? Nope. Anyone know when it's coming out? Nope. No, it was promised. Saw cool pictures. Saw some cool trucks and cars. All right, I got one more. I got one more for you. And you, you actually gave an example when you were talking about your, your Skype connection. But we believe that a lot of people see trade-offs and compromise and they compromise, but the, the boldest of companies are those who actually seize the opportunity instead of compromising. Other than your own story of sticking with the idea that, yeah, I can be the CEO of Skype with people. Anything that stands out as a brand that uh, saw an opportunity, seized an opportunity when others just saw compromise? Well, clearly there's a whole bunch, right? Some that I just named, from Amazon to Tesla to Warby Parker. Um, those are kind of the, I don't want to say obvious, but they're obvious. It's obvious that those are obvious. And they're and and it's okay. It's okay to talk about the ones that are obvious because they're they're touching all of our lives. I think Zoom is really interesting because A, we're on it, but B, video conferencing, that wasn't new territory. Like, right. wait, they went into video conferencing? Like that exists. But, but, but what about fifth, fifth or sixth the market? By the way, anyone using blue jeans, you know, like I remember when that was, oh, wow, that's going to be a cutting edge platform. And with all due respect to blue jeans, it may be, and I'm just ignorant, which is probably true. So I don't mean to diss on anybody's brand, but um, that's a really interesting example. How did Zoom become this, you know, it, I don't know, fifth to market, sixth to market, seven, how did it become ubiquitous? What do you think? All a whole bunch of things. One, the idea that you could customize your background, that was, they were like, Basically, one of the, I mean, Face, sorry, FaceTime had lots of really cool things like that too, but they didn't have this open-ended architecture like, like Zoom did, right? So you could, you could be on a Mac, you'd be on a PC, you could be on your phone, you'd be on a tablet, whatever. It was, it was basically open to everybody. Um, first of all, what it was called, right, was a big deal. I can't stress enough, like names and naming are really important, really important. If anybody wants to call me and talk about names or naming, you know, hit me up. Uh, I've been... Uh, the chairman of the advisory board of this company that's named a lot of great things. Uh, you know, I don't mean to, to use our time as a plug for an agency, but you know, if anyone's interested in naming, let me know. Uh, anyway, we can edit that out if you want. But um, <laughs> names are really, really, really important because they create a, an immediacy and a shorthand to a, a, a bigger set of ideas or and ideals, very, very, very rapidly and very again, boldly. So um, I think there's a lot of reasons why Zoom caught on and, and it worked, it just worked better. I, I didn't have any dropped calls. So their technology was was better. The video and, quality and, was better and sound quality was 40, better. 40 minute meeting for free, did that help maybe? It, it definitely did not hurt. Definitely, definitely did not hurt. That's the other famous trick, you know, it's like, give it away, give it away and then see what happens. You know, it, a lot of stuff seems free on Google. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Is brand loyalty dead? Have we moved to a world where it's so easy to experiment and try new things that there's more about affinity and preference to a consideration set? I think people are, are loyal to things that they feel have empathy and that they fall in love with, right? And I think when we're inundated by messages and, uh, and promises, I think the new sort of gospel isn't about how much advertising you do and how you reach me and where you reach me. It's I'm looking at complete strangers to see what they think about the product. I, I think reviews, I think one of the most brilliant things that Amazon offers is reviews. 
And we all know the number one search engine for product now is not Google, as much as I love Google, it's Amazon. And why do people go? It's not that Google doesn't offer reviews too. People trust other people. I think it's amazing and it's lovely because I will trust a complete stranger who either wrote a scathing or a soaring review more than I'll trust the ad. Because I know the ad has got a single purpose in mind, just wants to sell me something. Right? They, they want to see me convert. They want my awareness to go up. They want me to have a recognition moment when I go to the store and I recall the, you know, the ad and why it made me laugh or why it made me cry or it pulled on some emotional heartstring. When at the time of deepest consideration, when you're about to plunk down your hard-earned cash, what you really want is someone who has no agenda telling you this thing is fucking awesome or this thing sucked. That's what you really want. So I think the the way that we're creating these emotional ties to brands is very different than it used to be. It's not about nostalgia. It's not about just trust anymore because who and how we trust has been completely changed. Right. And I think the idea that you could just say, well, we've been around for 200 years. You know, if you're Mercedes, sure, they could talk about, you know, being around for a long time, but you know what their thing is? The best or nothing. They're like, huh, that's pretty powerful. But then they actually come through with with you know they deliver cars that are pretty great, right? They make a promise and deliver. So that be that breeds uh, you know loyalty and and love. So those lessons you've learned, which contributed to the the things you did, whether you were a participant or a leader, method, EOS, Popcorn Indiana, and Hello, you're now at one of the world's largest CPG companies, mm-hmm. and there's an argument that. CPG sucks at innovating, and therefore they need to keep buying startup disruptive brands like Hello. How are you helping a large company with big established brands like Colgate apply some of your philosophies? I'm going to let you in on the little secret, the dirty little secret that every entrepreneur probably doesn't think about, but that, that, that they keep. They keep the secret. The dirty little secret is every startup wishes that they were a huge multinational player. And I feel like somewhere all the big multinational players wish that they were like a startup. It's, it's this weird thing. I think it's like, we always want, you know, the grass is always greener, right? Of course. It's like rock stars want to be professional athletes. Professional athletes want to be rock stars. You know, a friend of mine created rock and jock for MTV a million years ago. And that was his big insight. Um, you know, we, we want what we can't have, you know, uh, it's just, it's incredible, right? All these Celebrities now all want to be entrepreneurs. All these entrepreneurs so, want to be celebrities. So with that in mind, how are you bringing that authenticity and brand building so, and design to Colgate? Yeah. So what I what I've shared. So a couple of things. So one was yes, hello. We were very fortunate. We grew and grew, and we you know built this this really lovely brand that people were falling in love with, uh, and we had a lot of demand, and you know the numbers were were really very strong and exciting. So we're very fortunate. We had a bunch of suitors and things like that. And it's very certainly flattering and humbling. People ask me all the time, they're like, so you're a Colgate? Like, why are you a Colgate? You know, like you had an exit. I get this all the time. Like, you had an exit, you had an exit, you had an exit. I'm like, it's not an exit, it's an entrance, right? If I were just about like, oh, I just want to make things and cash out. Like, uh, like that's not the, the, the deal. I gave, like, I made sure everybody to hello at equity. I wanted everyone to own a piece of the company and to feel like it was theirs. And I have said this at holiday meals all the time at Hello. I'd say, you're all founders. Everybody's a founder. And now as Hello expands, I promise I'm going to get directly to the answer to your, to your, your question. I tell people like, oh, Australia, UK, wherever, you know, Hello is going to go all over the place. I tell the people that I, that I work with, you're the founder of Hello United Kingdom. Sure. Technically. Yeah. I'm the founder. You know what? You're the founder. Like, go, it's ours. And I want everyone to write their chapter, make it much better. So what I've told Colgate is this is an entrance. Colgate operates in 200 plus countries around the world. I started this little brand. The idea that we can bring this brand, this proposition, this way of behaving and thinking and and creating of products all over the world, that's the coolest thing ever. The fact that Colgate, no one knows this, and I didn't know this till later, Colgate's the most penetrated brand in the world, like well over 60%. I think the number I heard was 67.7%, but it might be plus or minus. Rounding, rounding. Rounding. 
that number of people wake up every day with Colgate in their house. And the next nearest brand's at 40%. So I'm excited because I want to make better things that people can fall in love with and use every day. And I'm with a company that knows, you know, how to, you know, bring products to market all over the world and bring them into ready access and relief for people. That's a gift. It's amazing. So I'm having a lot of fun. And what I said, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have uh, you know, this ability to, to engage with folks that are very, very senior at Colgate. I, I said, you have 35,000 entrepreneurs here. We just have to unleash them the right way. We have to inspire them and unleash them the right way. And we have to be able to be good listeners and take in ideas that are coming from all over and synthesize those and figure out how we prioritize the new ones so that we can use world-class R&D that they already have. They have, you know, they have a million people with you know, more degrees than a thermometer walking around that can make anything. I'm like, let's go you know, come up with the greatest ideas and make sure that we have the ability to share those internally with these brilliant people that we have that are lovely. Like people at Colgate are amazing. They are amazing. So let's unleash them and let's do it in a way that's organized and structured and impassioned not bold to the point of breaking things, but bold to the point of we're on this mission and we're going to make amazing things happen. And they've been so warm and lovely. And you're going to see a lot of really cool new things, a lot. I'm, it's I, incredible. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be so great. My, my, my producers, I, I say that lovingly, are going to challenge me to end this soon. So and okay. you, you, I could go for another hour with you easily because you're a great guest. So I'm going to do well, a lightning kind. round. One more lightning round. Okay. This is going to get a little bit more personal, still business. Um, we're okay. going to call this Spill Your Guts. Oh, God. All right. Nicely done. Business book you actually like. Oh, boy. Okay, so listen, I am a notorious non-reader. It drives my wife crazy. My wife speaks six languages and has a PhD and she and I'm surrounded by, by books. If I go to my bookshelf, hold on, I'm gonna do this in real time. You ready? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you my 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 okay, you can't make this up, right? Get ready. Here it is. This is this is one I'm totally obsessed with right now. Patent. Patents. It's incredible. It's a thousand different design patents. I'm just randomly opening the page. Let's see, let's just like flip. What's a good one? Oh. Here it is. Here's a patent from 1967 for a gas pump. Oh, that's like, awesome. I love this stuff. Like, I can't get enough of this stuff. I'm just flip, flipping to another page. Oh, like, here's one for the stapler. Like, I want to see the technical drawings for the original patent for the, like, swing line stapler. I want to see how you take that book and generate your next idea. But let's keep going. Advice you receive that truly matters. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And I can't say I heat it all the time. And I'll tell you the story and I'll make it really quick. I was really young. I love music. I, like who doesn't love music? I'm kind of obsessed with music. I really love music. And I was trying to get a job, an internship. I was a kid. I think I was 15 at a record company. Someone I know introduced me to this guy, very senior person at a pretty young age at a big entertainment company. So I get dressed up, I put on my blazer and you know, rep tie and khaki pants. I'm gonna go see this guy in his big corner office. And I, I went to see him and I was very nervous. And this, this gentleman is very tall and he's much older than I am and I'm a kid. And I blabbered, you know, like whatever I, I said, just trying to get an internship. And this guy stood up, hovered over me and told me that he, he graduated number two from Stanford, number one from Harvard Business School. He went on to like recite like this incredible like list of amazing accomplishments, academic and otherwise that he had. And he said, I'm going to tell you the most important thing I learned at Harvard Business School. Because he was like, what do you want to do? I said, I'll, I'll empty your trash. I'll pick up your dry cleaning. Like I'll do anything. And he said, here's the single most important thing I learned. You have to be able to tell someone exactly what you want to do. And I was floored because I had said, you know, I'll get your dry cleaning. Like I'll do anything. He was like, nope. And to me, that was proxy for, like, you have to have a vision. You have to have some kind of purpose and intent. And I didn't really figure that out till much later. Now, at this time, I was a teenager, and he was probably 30-something. You know, 15-year, 20-year difference when you're that age is, is pretty significant. Fast forward, 
every like few years I get together with him for a holiday dinner and I tell him the story every time. He's like, I wasn't that much of a jerk. I didn't say that. I said, you did. And it, it did. It had a material impact. Totally it resonated. changed my life. Oh, it, it, without a doubt. You still have that reptile? Actually, it's funny. Everything old is new again. So I probably do. It's probably just the right width. You haven't worn a tie in a long time. No, I'm allergic to wool. You know, no wool, no wool, no silk. Take you back to childhood, teenage years, maybe college years. Brand from growing up that really created an emotional connection. I probably have a whole bunch. So one, Panasonic had a sub-brand called Techniques or Technics. They made turntables. And I worked one summer soliciting shoppers at an AMP supermarket in Fort Lee, New Jersey, standing at the edge of the cash uh, cashier, you know, conveyor belts, you know, bagging your groceries stand, where I would offer to take people's bad groceries out to their car and put them in the car for tips. And I did that because I was however old I was, like probably 12. And I had a pamphlet in my back pocket that had this techniques turntable that I was like going to do anything and everything I could to save enough money to get this thing. So that was a big motivator. I got the same one, I think, in the same year. All right, next. Amazing. Favorite binge show? Uh, favorite binge show? Uh, succession. Kind of obsessed with Succession. Next. Do you listen to podcasts? No. I'm a notorious non-reader, nothing I'm proud of, and a notorious non-podcaster, much to my wife's dismay. Um, when I do listen, I just listen to music. Uh, I listen to music because I get, it, it's not that there aren't amazing inspirational podcasts. Of course there are. But for me personally, I get my uh, my most crazy thoughts and, and uh, dreaming state done when I'm listening to music or when I'm walking around, you know, in nature, as cheesy as that may sound. So perfect setup because we are compiling a gutsiest brand guest Spotify list. Nice, as you should. What is what is Craig's song on our gutsiest brand Spotify list? All right, let's see. I'm going to think of a song that I really have been listening to a lot lately, over and over and over. It's a weird song, but I love it. And I'll tell you why I love it. The song is called A Thousand Times by the singer named Hamilton Lighthouser. And he was in a band called The Walkman. But if you hear his voice, it is not for everybody. It's not, it's not smooth as silk, but it's this, this love song, this unrequited love, love song that's so impassioned. And, uh, and it's incredible. And I think it's called A Thousand Times. I think I've listened to it a thousand times. On and on and on and on. Don't ask me why, but I'm in love with it. It's now on our playlist. Craig, you're, you're the best. Um, we, we, we are all about the human experience and you're all about the human experience. And we appreciate you spending time with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, I know I, I, I always tell people, please, if you ever want to get in touch, you should. LinkedIn, Skype, you know, you can call me. I have a good telephone number, 917-392-1000. Very easy to remember. And people ask me, like, how'd you get that number? And I'll tell you the, the super quick story how I got it. I went into the store. I, I, I had gotten an iPhone when it first came out. And to activate the phone, you had to set it up with a number. And I already had a phone number, but it was the only way you could get the phone to work. So I got whatever random number and I thought, well, I'm not really going to use that. I already have my other phone number and, you know, now I'll get to play around with the iPhone and see how it works. Because I'm a joker and I love words and wordplay. I, of course, looked at the number, looked at the telephone and went and made a joke in the store about what my new phone number actually could spell out if you use the letters that match up with the numbers. And I, I won't tell you what it was because it was, it's pretty inappropriate, but I had a good time with it. And I made them laugh so hard in the AT&T store that they said, well, let's go look for a new number for you. And the, and this person that was helping me was like, ooh, how about this one, 917-392-1000? I was like, no, really? He's like, it's shown available if you want it. It's, it's going to be gone in like three seconds. I was like, take it. So moral of the story, like make somebody laugh and you too could get a good phone number. So that's, uh, that's my phone number. So yeah, call me, write me, Skype me, text me. Um, let's talk brands and, and, and listening to the gut. You know, if I had a dollar for every person that told me, you know, you can't, make uh, oral care brand or you know chapstick that's lip balm you can't make a lip balm or uh you know cleaning products no one cares about cleaning products i mean I, I like everyone's told me no to everything so the other bit of advice that i got probably from my parents is if you don't try 
you've already failed. So why not try? So all the people that tell you no, don't listen. <laughs> Perfect way to end. Thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Rob, that was such a great conversation. There was so much from Craig's background, what's important to him, and all of the brands that represent gutsiness. What do you think were your key takeaways? Well, besides the fact that Craig is fun and has a sense of humor and has built some extraordinary brands and businesses, uh, there are a couple of things that really resonated with me. The first one that I, I just can't ever lose sight of is this notion of a simple idea, make the best stuff that people can fall in love with. There's so much to building a brand, but if you make stuff people love, um, they're going to be loyal to your brand. A couple other things I, I really appreciate um, from Craig's perspective. We often hear about consumer goods as being low involvement, low interest kinds of things, but he actually really reverses the mental model around that and really kind of points out the idea that the consumer goods are actually the everyday things we use. That things right. that we use, the things we use throughout our day, throughout our lives, it might not be like an automobile purchase or a computer purchase, but these are things that that we can't get through any single day without. And I love the way he elevates the idea that these are everyday things and therefore everyday things are important. And we should make everyday things that people love. That's so true. It reminds me of when somebody asks me, what's your favorite product invention? One of the things that always comes to mind for me is in the Quaker oatmeal packets, there's a fill line for your water so that you don't have to measure your water. You can put it right into the packet to measure it. And it's such a small thing, but it's clear they know their audience and it's, it's easy to take camping. Uh, I love it. It's the smallest thing, but it's just, it impacts my life, right? That's exactly right. And, and part of what um, I think he also said that, that was relevant is this notion that every single touch point matters, that your, your brand has to communicate and be um, consistent at every single touch point. And he actually talked about several brands that have been extraordinarily successful without really having advertising campaigns um, as a result of noting that every touch point can be how people live and experience a brand. The other two things that stand out from what he covered, one is this notion of brands need to be authentic, that they need to build trust. He told a couple stories about the important of, importance of authenticity and trust. And the other, just for anyone who's trying to be gutsy, for anyone who's trying to build a brand, reject those who say you can't do something. I feel like that's a theme that we're going to hear throughout further episodes. I might be giving away a little tidbit from our next episode, but that is something that I think the boldest people, the most empathetic people, they all have in common. It's like, don't listen to the naysayers, just you know, follow your guts there, right? That's exactly right. So I think the other thing that came out of this, this interview with Craig was he had some really good, what I'd like to call Craigisms. The first one was take every meeting, and that reminds me of an old saying my grandpa used to say was, you're never going to know if you don't ask, right? So you're never going right. to know what could happen if you don't have that conversation. So that resonated with me. People, purpose, and provenance. That was interesting. That was interesting to talk about you want to know the origin of something. It's true. It really is. I like that. What about you? Anything pop out? I think he said it multiple times. Design and brand, design and brand. And every yes. now and then he'll, he'll throw packaging in there. Um, and it connects, his notion of design brand connects back to the earlier point about everyday things have to be things people fall in love with. And, and that's where the intersection of design and brand has been in the roots of every single new product that he's launched from Method Soap to Hello Toothpaste and everything in between. And that ties really closely to the theme that I got through the whole conversation was his Craigism, people, people, people. I mean, everything that he does is grounded in people and humans. And I love that. And it, it seems so obvious when he says people, 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 but he demonstrated it in several key ways. The notion that he is a CEO of a company wanted to be able to Skype or take calls from anyone who called um, was authentic. And the fact that he doesn't like to use terms like consumer and audience, that he really wants us to be rooted in, in, in empathy, 
And right. as, as we think about the four pillars that are crucial to developing and sustaining a gutsy brand, leading with empathy, understanding people as people is the number one pillar in our mind. There are three other pillars, but that one stands out. The other three that we think are really essential, and I think Craig demonstrated in so many ways, is the notion that you need to be willing to pioneer new paths. When you do have that bold idea, you have to have the confidence to stick with it, stand behind it. And ultimately, some of the most successful brands are those who really see opportunity when others see trade-offs. And again, I think he gave us so many examples to take home from that. And I think the last thing I'd say, which connects to everything here is building brands is all about storytelling. And part of why Craig has been such a successful entrepreneur building four different companies to enormous success is that he's a storyteller. And with our brands, we're, we're trying to tell stories to people, but stories that resonate that say, you get me, you understand who I am and your brand connects with me. Thanks for listening to the Gutsiest Brands podcast. I hope you have some key takeaways from Craig Dubitsky that you can apply to your life. I know I do. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Next time, Gut Check's Chief Revenue Officer, Jess Gadicki, chats with Karen Howland, the Managing Director of CircleUp, an investment platform powered by technology that is helping some of the coolest brands out there. See you next time. Bye. Bye.